The following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, September 17th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. All right, as everybody's getting settled, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Just like I told you last week, the book of Galatians, except this week we're picking up in the beginning of chapter 5. We are making our way on the home stretch towards the end of this letter that Paul has written these churches in the region of Galatia. And it's been a quite a ride. And this morning, Paul's going to bring much of what he's been saying to a head as he then leads us into considering and thinking about how this stuff that he's been talking about begins to play its way out in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read for us. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to see what God has for us in the time we have left this morning. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Let's pray and then see what God has for us in his word this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is again to be here, gathered by your grace, to listen attentively to the work of your Holy Spirit, to your voice and your word. Lord, you have, you have redeemed us. You have called us to yourself. Through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, there, there is a grace and a freedom that you've given us. But we want to live in that freedom. Help us this morning to not only crave the freedom that's ours because of your Son, but to live freely in it for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You were running well. This is what was happening in the church. The Apostle Paul's writing this letter to these churches in this region, and here he's using a particular imagery to talk to them about their Christian life. It's a race. They're running one foot in front of the other, eyes forward towards the destination of their calling. 
These men, like you and I, they they were running their race. They were living their Christian life. They were living and enjoying their life in Christ. That's what Paul is talking about. They were running their race and they were running it well. There's a problem. Who's hindered you, Paul said, from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? Who got in your way? Who's leading you off the track now? What is it that's getting in the way of you experiencing and living out the fullness of joy that is to be yours because of Christ? We've learned over and over, week in and week out, and Paul is going to bring this point to a close this morning, that these churches were buying into a lie, a lie that you and I continue to buy into, that we find ourselves believing and living out of. And that's simply this, that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we begin to believe that our standing with God, God's affection towards us, our identity now in this place, our security and our hope for tomorrow is somehow dependent upon our performance for God. Some of you may be familiar. This, let me try to help you with this. Some of you may be familiar with a man named C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard his name before. Some of you may have even read some of the things that he's written One of the books that he has written that I enjoy and I try to read as often as I get my hands back on it is a book called The Screwtape Letters. Are you familiar with The Screwtape Letters? Some of you may have written it. It's the story of of these two demons, basically, who are writing letters back and forth to one another, discussing a patient that they're seeing. And the patient that they're seeing is a Christian. And what they're trying to do and what they're talking about is they're trying to figure out how to tempt this Christian and lead him astray. And so Screwtape is writing to this other demon, Wormwood, and he writes this, and I want you to hear this. This is what's going on in Galatia, and this is what we've been talking about for weeks, and I want you to hear another perspective on it. This is Screwtape writing. The real trouble about the set or, or the world that your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, But the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You see, if you're familiar with mere Christianity that Lewis wrote, to Lewis, that is the full form of spiritual life in Christ, mere Christianity. And what one demon is saying to the other is that these Christians, the problem with the person you're talking about is that they're living in mere Christianity the fullness of what God has in Christ. What I want for them and what we're trying to get them to is something different. Christianity and. He goes on to say, you know, Christianity and the current crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychological research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and spelling reform for the nation. Christianity and on and on and on. Wormwood said, if they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. You see, the great danger to you and I running our race, what was, what was impeding these Christians that Paul was writing to then, what the great enemy of our joy and the fullness of our life is, is the subtle belief, the subtle lie that you can add anything to the work of Christ, that you can add anything to the grace of God through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. 
You see, what Paul's been saying over and over and over again in this letter so far is that to add anything to Jesus is to ultimately deny everything that Jesus actually accomplished. To add anything to the work of God in Christ for your life, for your joy, for your redemption is ultimately to deny everything that he's actually done. It's to say that his work was insufficient. So Paul says this to the church struggling with these lies, struggling with these deceptions. Let me just try to tie a bow on this, Paul is saying. Look, verse two, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, now that was the the touchstone issue of the day, that was the deal breaker that they were being taught, Jesus plus complete obedience to the Old Testament ceremonial and moral law, including circumcision. In fact, you can go back to Acts chapter 15, verse one, And you'll find where a council met dealing with this issue. And what these teachers were saying was this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So so Paul's saying this, if you're going to accept this, that yes and amen, God sent his son to die in your place for your sins, raised him from the grave for your salvation. If you're going to accept Jesus plus the need to do these other things in order to know you're right with God, you're ultimately nullifying everything that Jesus accomplished for you. So so praise God today in 2017, we're not arguing about circumcision. But if we're going to allow what Paul was dealing with then to speak to us now, I want you to hear this. Anything akin to something that you and I would establish as a rule or a regulation to earn God's favor, anything that we would establish in our mind and then put onto other people in order for them to know that they are actually right with God apart from faith in the work of his son, anything that you or I begin to believe is the grounding sufficiency of our identity here now and with God apart from what he says about us in his son, that's akin to Paul saying you're accepting upon yourself this circumcision. It can be anything as as benign and beautiful in its right way as working for the glory of God through the church, working in the church, a fervency in prayer, a fervency in God's word. But if you begin to believe that any of those things in themselves add to what God has done for you in his son, you're taking upon yourself this circumcision like Paul is talking about. You're nullifying the grace of God. And so Paul wants you to be very clear as he's been arguing about this throughout this entire letter. You need to understand the fallout of such things. It's a big deal. Listen to the fallout that Paul lists here. If you choose to live this way, that somehow your performance for God establishes something for you in his eyes apart from what he's done for you in his son, Christ, Paul says, will be of no advantage to you. So ultimately adding to the work of God in his son, adding to the gospel, ultimately becomes subtraction from the gospel. Christ will no longer be of advantage to you. Verse three, Paul says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision, to everyone who chooses to believe that their performance somehow earns them something before God, you're now obligated to keep the whole law. You can't simply pick and choose the particular aspects of God's law that you're gonna choose to obey to earn your right standing before God, to to earn God's affection of you, to build your identity around. It doesn't work that way. If you're gonna choose to believe that you do something to earn your standing, to establish your identity with him, you're now obligated to do it all and to do it all perfectly. Paul says, verse four, you are severed from Christ. Those of you who want to be justified by the law, 
You want to be justified by your performance. You want to be justified by your fervency. You want to ground God's affection for you and what you're doing, if that's what you want. Paul says you need to realize you're going to be severed from Christ. You're ultimately cutting yourself off from his perfect obedience to God's word in your place. And now you will have to stand before God on the record of your own merit. See, what Paul's trying to say over and over and over again is this idea, this this legalism, this desire in us to perform for God, to ground our standing with him, this temptation that draws us away from the gospel, what it ultimately does is it leads us to putting our salvation, our identity, our security back in our hands. And it cuts us off from Christ. Paul said, you need to understand, you're falling away from grace. Your grip has been loosened on that which has saved you. This is what Paul was getting after in chapter 2 earlier on. Chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I, I'm not nullifying the grace of God in the gospel. If righteousness, if justification, if right standing with God, if identity before God was found in the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen, if this is the way you're going to live, if this is what you're going to choose to believe, you need to understand the consequences. And it's more. There's more. Legalism is contagious, Paul says. Look at verse 9. Now it's not just you. The way you're living impacts those around you. Look at verse 9. Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This kind of legalistic tendency, this, this faux gospel that we talked about last week, it's like a contaminating agent. I was joking with my wife this week It's like a kindergarten class when school gets back in session. Everybody starts coming home sick. All these new colds and snots and viruses and nose pickings and touching everything. It all comes back and now everybody's sick. See, look at that. Watch out. (laughs) On cue. No, I'm just kidding. See, Paul says, here's the thing. You might be able to justify it with yourself that it's just you. It's just you. But Paul says the reality of this legalism is that we start taking people with us. We start wrapping other people up in our own chains. And there's a condemnation waiting for this. Listen to what Paul says in verse 10, second part of verse 10. The one who is troubling you, those who are coming in spreading this faux gospel, those who are coming in adding to what God's done for you in his son, those who are coming in here telling you that somehow Jesus did 99% of the work to make you right with God, but now your performance has to cover that remaining 1%, those who are coming in telling you that it's your fervency towards the things that make God happy that secure his affection for you rather than what he did for you through his son, Paul says there's a condemnation waiting for them. There's a penalty for them, whoever they are. There's a judgment awaiting the purveyor of a false gospel. And Paul's not playing around. At the beginning of this letter, you might remember, Paul said, if anyone preaches a gospel other than the one that I have proclaimed to you, Christ and Christ alone, that we're saved by faith alone through grace alone, Paul said, let him be accursed. Even if an angel says this, let him be accursed. Unless you don't get the point, Verse 12, Paul says, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I don't know how you prepare to preach verse 12. 
But as I thought about it, here's what did hit me. I think if you and I were going to be honest with ourselves, if Paul was standing here right now, and this was his letter to the church today, this is Paul preaching right now to you and I, if Paul says what he just said in verse 12, in the real equivalency of what he actually said today, my fear is that you and I would be more offended by the language that Paul used than by what he's trying to warn us against. Paul used some very harsh language here. Our translation doesn't do what he says justice. We play it safe in the English translation right here because I think you and I are more offended by his words than the fact that he's trying to make us aware that someone can walk in here and begin adding something to the gospel and leading God's people away from the confidence and faith in what God's done for us through his son. That is what causes Paul to say what he says. It's a scary thing to think if I actually said this morning what Paul said here in our equivalency, you'd be more upset at the language I used. What Paul is saying is that this kind of faux gospel, this kind of legalism, this kind of Jesus plus, this kind of move away from mere Christianity that Lewis was talking about to Christianity and something else, it nullifies the grace of God. It makes Jesus of no advantage to you. It shackles you with an absolutely intolerable burden to keep the law, and it contaminates the church. And you need to understand, there's a condemnation awaiting it. See, there's a responsibility that all of us have to oppose this kind of contamination every time we see it begin to take root in the life of God's people. Anytime we begin to see this leaven, this contamination, this faux gospel beginning to rear its head in the hearts and the lives of those whom we love, we have a responsibility because of its consequences to push back against it everywhere we see it. This is what Paul is getting after. This, he says, this message, this, this lie, this way of living, verse 8, this persuasion, Paul says it's not from him who calls you. The voice you're listening to telling you this, that which is drawing you into this confidence in yourself, even if you're telling yourself it's 99% Jesus and only 1% me. Paul says this persuasion that you're listening to, it's not from the one who's called you. His voice sounds entirely different. His message is utterly distinct. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5, this is what his voice sounds like. For freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I want you to know that in God's word, there are some sentences in the Bible that as the Holy Spirit does what he does, it begins to quicken those things to our heart. Everything about our life begins to change. This is one of those verses. I don't know if you write in your Bibles. I, I hope you do. It's okay to write in your Bibles. If you do, you need to underline that. You need to highlight that. You need to circle verse one. You need to do whatever you need to do in your Bible in chapter five, verse one, to make note of what Paul just said. What he just said is that Jesus' whole mission was one of liberation. It was one of freedom. 
The gospel is about your freedom. I, I love, again, there are some pastors who can communicate this in ways that I just can't even begin to imagine. And, and John Piper is one of those guys. And here's how he kind of clears the forest to help his congregation hear this. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he said, is one of the clearest statements of God's will for your life. You want to call the office again and talk to one of us about God's will for your life and your confusion? Here is one of the clearest statements from God in his word about what his will for your life is. Piper said, this is the will of God for you, your freedom. Uncompromising, unrelenting, indomitable freedom. For this he said Christ died. For this he rose. For this he sent his spirit. There's nothing he wills with more intensity under the glory of his own name than this. Your freedom. Christ's will for you is that you enjoy freedom. So your enjoyment of freedom is much more important to God than many of the day-to-day decisions that fill us with so much concern. Have you ever thought about that? That under the intensity of his own name, he wills nothing more for you than your freedom. All the day in and day out concerns that trouble us so much. What God wants for you, what he wants you to enjoy, is the freedom that he's purchased for you through his son. This is the God-ordained, spirit-empowered, Christ-exalting, developed sense of what you and I are meant to be for. Remember last week I talked about how easy it is to define ourselves and to define our world and to even define the church about all the things we're supposed to be against. But yet we never develop a sense of who we really are and what we're meant to be for. Listen to what he just said. It was for your freedom that God set you free through his son. See, we know what we've been saved from. Guilt and condemnation and eternity separated from God in hell. We've been saved from believing that our performance for God is the metric that determines how much God loves us or whether or not we can really know we're secure. We've been saved from the curse of the law because Christ became a curse for us. We've been saved from living our lives driven by some sense of guilt and trying to perform or by fear and hoping that God will love us by the way we live. We're free from all of that, but don't miss what we're saved from is not the end. We're saved for something else. We're saved for freedom. We're saved to something, not just from other things. We're saved to something. We're saved to freedom. The freedom of a clean conscience. Because the blood of Jesus has washed away the guilt of our sin. We're saved too, knowing that God's affection for us doesn't waver despite our persistent failure and sin and shortcoming. We're saved to the security and comfort of knowing God's affection and for us because of his son. We're free to a life of joyful, joyful obedience to his word because the yoke of slavery and law-keeping has been taken from us. Freedom, what you've been saved to, includes the new desires and abilities to obey God's law as the fruit of gratitude. 
that even in your most flawed efforts to obey God, because of what he's done for you in and through his son, because you are clothed in the robes of Jesus' righteousness, God accepts even your most flawed efforts. Friends, the reformers, those who brought Galatians back into the light for the church, 500 plus years ago, that would preach through Galatians that we said in the beginning of the series was like dynamite to the church. They would say this, if liberty, that was their good word for this, if liberty or freedom was not a defining characteristic of your life, if freedom was not the DNA for you, if freedom was not defining your life in Christ or the life of God's people together, the church's life, then justification wasn't clearly understood. It's a litmus test, ready? Your soul and the gospel. They would say, if your identity, if your understanding of the Christian life, if your relationship with God is not found to be defined by the DNA to be marked by your freedom, if the church, Redemption Hill, if our DNA isn't marked by this freedom, this liberty, they would say that we have a faulty understanding of what we've, how we've been saved and what we've been saved from then. We're not rightly understanding justification. That's a gut check for us. So I want you to listen to what Paul says next. If we are indeed free, if that's a reality for us, how do free people live? I mean, how do we begin to look into our DNA and see, is there the fruit of this in our lives? Well, we're going to spend a whole week on that next week, so we're going to start this morning. And I'm assuming that as we read this and we talk about this, that there's no one in here who's thinking, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not really feeling the freedom of Christ and I'm not really interested in understanding it and living in it more. What I want from you is more burden for my conscience. I, I don't think anybody's come in here with that. What we want is what God said is actually ours and we want to know that it's ours and experience the reality of that it's ours and then live in the fact that it's ours, right? We want freedom. So what's it look like? For freedom, Paul said, Christ has set you free. Free to what? Free to stand firm. Free to stand. Go back to the analogy he used later on in the verse. Free to run your race. Free to put one foot in front of the other with your eyes fixed ahead and run and feel the wind in your face. Free to stand, free to live your life, free to run, free to not put that burden of that yoke of the law and slavery back on your shoulders. You and I, I I'm trying to figure out how to best capture this so that everyone understands. You and I wake up every single day susceptible to this emotional drift in our hearts. I mean, the voices and the influences around us are so great. We wake up every day susceptible to this drift away from the confidence of what God's done for us through his son back into feeling like there's something that's up to me in this whole thing. It's like being in the ocean and standing there right inside the ocean about waist deep. If you don't root your feet down in the sand, what's going to happen? That current's going to pull you away slowly but surely. You don't recognize it at first, but that undertow starts drifting starts pulling you and you're over here before you realize that everybody you're with is back over there. 
This is the way it is with our hearts. We're so susceptible to this kind of drift. We find ourselves waking up and beginning to live as though there's something that we have to do, something that's not ours, something we have to go get that God has said is already yours in my son. You've been set free from the guilt of your sin. The burden of the law is your means of justification. That's no longer on you. You don't have to perform to get God's affection. Now, now, now you're free to stand firm. Now you're free to run your race. Now you're free to do it with a clean conscience, knowing the guilt of your sin has been washed away, past, present, and future. Now you can run your race one foot in front of the other, obeying God with joy, knowing that that's the path to real freedom and real life. Now you can obey for his glory and your greatest and fullest desires of joy. See, in the process of what Paul's already talked about in the letter, Christ being formed in you, the ongoing process of the formation of your soul to reflect the character of your Savior, to reflect the character of Christ, that formation of his character in you by his Spirit, you realize it's a process because there's still a part of you. The old man, Paul will call it sometimes. The flesh, he'll call it sometimes. That thing that continues to pull you away into that drift, you have to push back against it. You have to stand firm against it. In other letters, Paul will say, you have to put that thing to death. There are times in that drift when you wake up and go about your business every single day and it feels like the desire towards sinful temptation, the desire towards religious performance, the desire to make up for what God may have missed through his son is so strong. It seems so right. It makes so much sense in your mind. It seems like it's gonna make your heart leap with joy. And Paul says it's in those moments that you've got to stand firm. You've been set free to live free. And in those moments, stand firm in the gospel, knowing that that freedom that you think you're going towards is already yours already. Don't put that yoke back on your back. That's what Paul's saying. So what do you stand firm on? Let me try to say it this way. Your freedom the freedom that is yours through Christ and the freedom that you and I live to experience and feel and live from, your freedom, your experience of that freedom depends on God's grace. See, what Paul has been arguing throughout the letter, and he's gonna come back to it again through the last half of the letter, is that the gospel is not just the power of God for your salvation. It's the power sustaining you every day. It's the power of your flourishing in freedom. I don't know who came up with it. I think every pastor in America has probably used it before. You probably have heard the acronym for grace. Maybe you haven't. God's rescuing and caring exertion. Your freedom is dependent upon God's rescuing and caring exertion. Living free, experiencing freedom, flourishing in your life is dependent upon God's grace. This is what Paul is trying to point the attention of God's people to. Grace not only saves, it keeps. It's on the thing, it's the thing on which you stand. In fact, listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I worked harder than anyone. You're running your race. You you think you're doing everything you're supposed to. Paul says, I worked harder than everyone. 
though it wasn't I. It was the grace of God within me. It was the grace of God sustaining Paul, keeping Paul, driving Paul in the race that he was running. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. As sin reigned in death, grace also will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus who is our Lord. Grace is like a powerful king that exerts its reign in your heart and in your life. It saves you. It sustains you. It drives you. It nourishes you. It is the thing on which your freedom and your experience of your freedom depends. Friends, what Paul is trying to say is that we're free. You and I are free. When God freely comes to help us and save us, and he has, he has through his son. That's his rescuing exertion. We're free when he does that. And we experience that freedom when we joyfully trust his help to us by his spirit. That's his caring exertion. Rather than turning back to our performance, rather than turning back to the law, rather than turning back to what we can do for God, when we trust in his help for us by grace, you and I have the privilege of experiencing the freedom that he's actually purchased for us. See, friends, all the law can ever do is expose the reality of your sin. All the law can do is show you that, yes, indeed, you are a sinner. To put you under the light and expose the fullness of it. But guess what happens? All it can ever do is leave you right there. It's like that frenemy you've got in your contacts list. Every time you're together with other people, they find that perfect passive-aggressive way to make you look bad in front of everybody else. And then just leave you there, exposed. That's the law. It can only leave you exposed and in an abject discomfort. But the grace of God that sets you free, it exposes your sin. It doesn't pretend as though your sin isn't there. It doesn't deny the reality of your sinfulness. It exposes your sin, but it doesn't leave you there. The grace of God and his rescuing and caring exertion, it deals with your sin for you. And grace becomes a comfort to you, a source of your standing, a source of your running, a source of your flourishing. So Paul would say, why in the world, why in the world would you ever want to walk out from under that? Why would you ever want to walk out from under that? It's for freedom, brothers, that Christ has set you free. Don't go back. Friends, God did not hardwire our hearts to long for him, for true freedom. He didn't crush his son on the cross for the sins of the world because he desires to fill your life with increasing amounts of guilt. That's not why he did it. God laid on his son the guilt for sin so that by his death and through faith in him, God could set you free from the slavery of a guilty conscience and could cleave your soul to his son. If God really wanted to keep you at arm's distance, if God really wanted to keep you spinning your wheels, trying to figure out how you can make yourself right, he would have never sent his son. He would have never sent his son. So some of you may come in here this morning with this nagging suspicion that all God really wants to do 
is to take away from you piece by piece a little bit of your freedom over time. A little bit more here and a little bit more here. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what God is all about. Restraining my freedom. Friends, you need to understand from the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the answer to whether or not God is for or against your freedom. Whether or not God is keeping you from something or holding back something from you. If God is holding out on you and not wanting you to live in the fullness of something, Jesus is the answer to whether or not God is holding out on you. Whether there's real freedom somewhere else. Friends, moment by moment in the renewal of God's love for us in his son, moment by moment as we hear his voice coming to us in what he's done through his son, moment by moment, Jesus is removing all the nagging suspicions that tend to bury themselves in our hearts and in our minds. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all willingly, Paul said willingly how will he not also graciously give us all things especially your freedom god's not holding out on you he wants your freedom and joy more than you do and this morning as you and i get the privilege to respond to god's word and god's initiating his love towards us his work in setting us free this morning as we celebrate that by receiving communion together we're remembering and celebrating god's resolve and god's grace to set us free to give us freedom and so this morning for those of you who have tasted of the grace and the forgiveness that comes through confidence in Jesus Christ as King and as Savior. In a few minutes, when you're invited to come forward and receive communion and take a piece of bread, remembering the body of Jesus broken in your place for your sin, and dip it in a cup, remembering his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sin, here's what you're saying. Paul actually told the church in Corinth that when we do this, we're proclaiming something. Your very act of standing up and coming forward is proclaiming a confidence that you have that Christ has loved you and he gave himself for you. That Jesus Christ, the very son of God, became a curse for you so that even though in yourself you were a prisoner to your own sin, you are now by the grace of God through Christ free. You're proclaiming that you believe with all that you are that the death of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you and that his death and his resurrection is your only real hope for eternity. There's nothing of the work of your hands and the performance of your life for God that can do it for you. That your confidence is solely in his death and his resurrection. You're saying, you're proclaiming that it was for freedom that God set you free that he's died for the guilt of your sin. Because of his death, you're free. Friends, I'm gonna pray for us. And then I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes to deal with God and to let God deal with you. And then we're gonna have a chance to respond to God's word together by receiving communion, making those proclamations with our whole body as we come forward, singing, making much of him with our mouths, and then being sent out here to be his people in this place. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll go. Father, thank you so much the promises of your word and the certainty of those promises that are grounded in who you are for us. Lord, help us to begin to believe maybe for the first time or to a deeper measure today than we've ever believed in a long time that it's our freedom that you desire. 
Lord, that it was for our freedom that your son came, lived, died, and that you raised him from the grave, that you desire us to not only know our freedom, but enjoy it in you. God, let us be a people whose DNA is marked by that. Let a watching city and a watching world that you would send us to see that freedom and have cause to say, what is it going on in you that does this? And we ask that you would bring that to be a reality to bear on our hearts this morning for the glory of your name and the glory of your son. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.